0: hey everybody this is alex and this is lunchbox radio sunday edition so considering the live action cowboy bebop just came out i wanted to and don't worry the thursday episode will be about that if you're curious this episode is not about that it's about A kind of redacted, badly remembered, admittedly, history of live actions. So, if anybody has ever, like, been on, say, mid-2000s YouTube, you've seen these, like, castings of potential live-action adaptations of anime things. And, interestingly enough, uh, they were usually like done by, like, teenagers with a decent YouTube following, and oftentimes, they, they were very, what I would call, aesthetically casted, and this kind of came to a head with, and I'm going to rewind a little bit farther even than this, this came to a head, really, with the Ghost in the Shell live-action movie, which... When it ultimately came out, it was not a bad... It was, like... It was not a great movie. It was It's a movie that inspires a lot of, like, feelings and rage in people. Because it's less... It's less it's, like, an interpretation of the original movie. And it's more a amalgamation of just about every ghost in the shell thing in existence. And honestly... The best part about that movie being made is that you get the um, bonus footage, which is, like, about them, like, thinking through the branding in the world, thinking through, like, the the physicality of what a real-life Ghost in a Shell would look and feel like. And that's, that's actually really fascinating. If you ever get a chance to watch that extra stuff, I highly encourage it. But... The reason why I say the the kind of aesthetic casting came to a head there was because something... So, maybe I should start here instead. There have always been three, maybe four, highly rumored live-action anime adaptations. And those live-action anime adaptations, which were kind of... Getting which we're definitely getting beyond, especially with the One Piece adaptation that Netflix just announced, were Ghost in the Shell, Akira, Cowboy Bebop, and what was the last one? The last one was... Oh, Battle Angel Alita. So, in regards to something like... Oh, and... If you want to make a fifth speed racer, was definitely one until it happened. Until the Watuszki's like conned someone out of their money that year and put John Goodman in a speed racer movie. Um, the 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 thing with live action movies is with 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 live with live action anime adaptations rather is. ...that you really need to... ...a lot of... A, they require a, a ton of budget... ...because animation... ...animation is more forgiving to fantasy... ...than live action is, naturally... ...because it's drawn and you... ...the, the limits are what you're willing to spend time on... ...basically, and and how much money... ...you're willing to pay someone... To spend how much time on something. And the problem with live action. Is you need more and more special effects. To achieve something like that. If you look at something like. The budget of say. Any Marvel movie. Including the Spider-Man movies currently. Those have. Insane special effects budgets, and when you hit when you hit the, the credits, and you hit the special effects studios, there's like nine studios to each one of those movies, and they're all doing something very specific and very time intensive. But with something like say Speed Racer, there's all this stuff you can choose to present or not for then and in terms of speed in terms of this speed racer live action if you look at that movie d- people believe that movie is bad <laughs> but actually and the best um the best the best thing to watch on youtube about speed racer movies, is actually the um mashup between nostalgia critic and um the uh an, anim- an anime abandoned because it really it really gets across what that movie was trying to do which is, like, yeah, Tim Curry never closes his mouth in that movie but, like that's not the point. The point was they were trying to make something that was faithful to the original cartoon in many ways and in many ways it succeeded but it... It didn't sit well because it, and I think that um some an article I read about um the live action Cowboy Bebop once again that's just gonna be the Thursday episode, whoo who is it going to be the Thursday episode? Really said it the best in that it. In animation you can exert an amount of control on what the viewer is seeing that is so unlike the amount of control you kind of lack in the in in the medium of live action filming because you the medium is so much more pliable and it is so much more easily editable than something like than something like film. there's a perfect example. So you... In the Twilight movies, in the first movie, there's a shot that is... There's a shot that just, like, seems like it shouldn't have made it in the movie. And it clearly seems like one of the extras in the movie did not think he was on... He was in frame when he was. And you see him, like, messing around, like goofing around probably with another like background cast member only the background cast member you don't see you see he's safely off frame out of frame but the actual but the other actor like you see him just like wiggle his butt in this weird way that was very clearly no one thought of until the movie was literally like fit to print and it went out and me in college and all my friend and like my friends in college, when we saw this, we were like, that how did how did no one catch this? And so and some of that is like some of that is like new directors and all this other stuff. But a lot of that is just you you are trying to exert your control in so many ways on a set, that there's only so much you can do, and the speed, and kind of legendarily, um James, two two people have a ton of control over what the viewer is seeing in the like live action anime and that is the Wachowski brothers, the Wachowski brothers. What you're seeing is what they intend you to see, and they are very purposeful about what you are seeing on screen. You see it, you see it in The Matrix, you see it in Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending is essentially a movie about the space DMV, <laughs> like, they stole, like, they conned someone some studio out of money to make that movie, mostly because they wanted that space DMV sequence in that movie. Like, yeah, the other stuff is there, but, like, they really wanted to be like, what is space DMV? You could really tell. Um, but... The... And... You see that in their Speed Racer live-action. And here is what I want to talk about. The, like... The kind of, like, the kind of, like, true dream of 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 live-action anime fans, so to speak. And that is Alita Battle Angel. So, infamously, Battle Angel Alita was optioned by James Cameron in, like, the 90s. Like, he wanted this thing for decades. He wanted to make this movie forever. And, like, he, he was determined. And it was, like, this, there was, like, this fever pitch it it met at different points. And then he finally got, like, he finally got his dream movie out the door. Not with him as director, which I'm sure disappointed him some, but he... He fought for that movie for years. And then he made Avatar. And like that gave him more of a leg up. And then he was finally able to get Alita Battle Angel made. And it was a huge deal when that movie came out. And it came out years ago at this point. But it was a huge deal. And I remember I did an episode on Battle Angel on Alita. And like me and every other... Old taco on the internet would just like listen. It is it is your responsibility to go see this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and ta- and it did okay from what I remember. It like it didn't knock it out of the park. It ne- it it was never going to, but it did okay. And it the. kind of scope and vision of that movie was so much wider than anyone expected and it was so skillfully done that it was like this absolute ray of sunshine and it is oftentimes thought of as the exception to the rule in terms of live action anime. And we also got things like full metal where the, the the technically it is correct but like artistically it is strange and we got death note death note is a its own hilarious train wreck but it there's been a huge history of Live action anime things, and there's also a huge history, an even bigger history, of J drama adaptations. And if you're ever like, they should make a live action Bleach or a live action Naruto in your head, just know they have. And you're probably like, "What? What? What? What's he talking about? What's Alec talking about? He's gone insane. He's lost his finger like and marbled." What I'm talking about is stage plays. There have been tons of anime adaptations into stage plays for a while now. And one of the reasons why they can do that is stage plays have a lower barrier because you're going to a theater and you're like sitting down and you're watching a thing. And in the same way that you expect something different out of the stage play for Spider Man than you would expect. From a Spider-Man movie. At this point. That also applies to. Anime adaptations for stage plays. There have been. Adaptations of Bleach for the stage. There have been. Adaptations of Naruto for the stage. There have been adaptations of tons of different properties. There have also been. J-dramas. AKA. Live action TV shows. Of. Of. Animated properties for a long time now, but the the difference with the the difference with the American adaptations, with the adaptations led by studios like Sony, Microsoft, not not Microsoft, Sony, um, Netflix that and those kinds of adaptations is in the Japanese in, in the Japanese adaptations there's this slavish devotion to the source material and there's this Idea that I think is probably correct, and that the way they can put their stamp on it is by offering like a level of craftsmanship and a level of uniqueness of interpretation that is that will that will stand on its own, whereas. Something let's Take something like Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell feels like a movie where the people making it knew they were only ever going to get this one. They were only ever going to get one shot. It was not going to be a franchise deal. I'm sure someone hoped, but everyone knew it's not. Like, we get this one shot. And then you have to... But also, you have to... Get put butts in seats. And so what did they do? They looked at the kind of big star list that could play a character like Motoko Kusanagi. And they looked at past work. And if you look at both of those things, and I said this at the time, and I will continue to say this until I'm in my deathbed, if you look at both of those things, Scarlett Johansson, all three of those things, Scarlett Johansson fit. She is a huge star. She has the kind of, like, tough, badass, secret agent to her in the form of, um... What's her? Black Widow. She has the kind of, like, otherworldly, stoic-ness to her in the form of Lucy, that movie Lucy, which, if you've never seen it, that movie's fucking wild. And you combine those things and you combine those and you combine those three things and she makes a pretty good candidate for the like for what would fit that character but and this really came out in the adaptation they it just doesn't fit Because it's not, it's not this, like, it feels like an American interpretation of a Japanese work. Not a American interpretation of something that, and it's also had the same problem that I'll get to with the Cowboy Bebop thing. And that it's constantly trying to put its own stamp on things in a way that it doesn't, it doesn't need to. But also because they know they're only going going to get the one shot, they're doing the thing where they have to nod to the original fourth material constantly. And if you look at, so I want to end this by talking about the two, um, what I think are best live action a- anime adaptations, and that is Alita and Space and and, um, Speed Racer. Speed Racer is... The live-action Speed Racer is done with an attempt to create... To recreate that anime's original stylings in live-action and with special effects to, like, a dizzying conclusion. And, like, that movie can make some people sick, I'm sure, like, physically ill. But you watch that movie and then you if you go watch the show the original speed racer show which i think you can find on Netf- on um Crunchyroll um they are uh, cut from the same cloth they are doing the same oftentimes sometimes to the cell to to the frame visual things which is honest-to-God, impressive. And then you look at something like Alita, and you look at what, like, James Cameron and everybody who worked on that movie did with that property. They took that property, and they turned it into something that was, quite honestly, impressive, but also, like... It has its own feel it, it, it exists separate from the from that manga from that from that property and anime manga, but it also exists with it and it kind of carries its spirit alongside it, even if it and it doesn't feel the need to directly reference it and or like tip the hat. Whereas something like Ghost in the Shell, they are so clearly, like, constantly. That movie is a montage. The live action Ghost in the Shell movie is a montage, it is a mashup of all these different parts from all over the Ghost in the Shell universe, all these iconic moments from that universe, right down to, you know. Motoko ripping her arms off to get the... To get the hatch open with the spider tank. And because it's such a mashup, it doesn't... It doesn't hang... It doesn't hang evenly. Because it's borrowing things from the movie... From both movies. The show. The show's movie, um... Solid State Society... And it's like blending them all together constantly, and then it throws in a like origin story scenario that makes no sense. That makes, that is so ham handedly like making no sense and seems like a response to fandom backlash of whitewashing that character. When should the character have been whitewashed? No, that's never a good thing. But is... But is there... Did they have a real... Reason to do it? Absolutely. The actress who played Mariko was oftentimes... Suggested as a replacement for Scarlett Johansson. Especially since she had been in a big... In an American movie... In the form of... um What's it called? The thing was the Jaegers, um, but the Pacific Rim. But the bottom line is Pacific Rim didn't make that much money, and all the Pacific Rim stuff we've gotten from Guillermo del Toro or otherwise has been because that movie was popular in China, so more of it was made. And God knows how we got Pacific Rim the Black, which I don't think we'll ever get more of again. But God knows how we got that. And so the long and short of it is, is that you, like, these big studios are taking huge risks on making these movies, and very few directors have the kind of cachet to say, hey, this is how you do this. You know, the Wachowskis, when they made Speed Racer, they were still in the glow of, and they still are in the glow, of The Matrix. The, what's it called? The James Cameron is like an insta-fucking-tushin. So, when you get a... Adaptation that is helmed not by like a necessarily a creative force, but a like a like an actual corporation like the ghost in the shell thing. It it doesn't it doesn't have as much opportunity to be able to sit right and There is a certain amount of, it, especially with Netflix. I want to talk about, and actually I'm going to end this by talking about Netflix. Netflix's goal in what they make is to kind of hopefully capture as many niches as possible. That's why they have expanded so far, in, so, so far down the anime rabbit hole. As to, like, get into live-action adaptations and stuff. And to license a bunch of a- live-action a- adaptations. They licensed the Veronica Kenshin a- adaptations. They licensed the Bleach one. The, the Full Metal one. It's because... Kind of the best way at this point to... Emulate what you could do with monoculture in something like, um... And actually, that's the sixth movie I left out, which is um, Detective Pikachu is way better than it has any right to be. Um, the best way to emulate the effect that monoculture had back in the days of when Pokemon originally released, is to capture as many niches as you can and build that audience by having a by having like. All the anime stuff and all the like true crime stuff and all the th- they for years have had tons of comedy specials in a way that HBO became named known for comedy specials Netflix quickly became known for comedy specials and that ultimately is their like their goal so they're they're making a Gundam movie they've now released. The live action Cowboy Bebop, these things are all to a point of them throwing money at this and wanting and the live action One Piece announcements. They they're trying to throw money at things and make them the way that the fandom has always kind of wanted them made, but. It doesn't always nail it. I mean, you—if you look at the live action um, Death Note, it, what's his face—the guy who played Green Goblin in um, in the original Spider Man—was always kind of like pegged as being the guy who should play Ryuk. I made the joke on Twitter. <laughs> I think it might be my pinned tweet, actually. Um, but it's... Sometimes living in that fantasy is just the way you would end up... is is okay, but when it becomes reality, a lot comes into interpretation of reality. And... I just had all these, I had a lot of feelings about this because I, after watching a live action Cowboy Bebop, because it's out now, and I have, and I literally last night just saw the um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I was surprised at how, and how unmessed around with they left the Ghostbusters stuff. Like, they didn't reinterpret a ton of things. They moved it and changed it, but there was no, like, oh, this is what the new proton pack looks like. No, they... It was different, but it was often, in very important ways, the same. And that's important. And that that shows this, like, devotion to the property that oftentimes isn't afforded to properties from other cultures, especially in America. If they had shown the kind of same thought process and devotion to the Shell in their making of that, it would have been... I think it would have been a better visual representation of that thing. The moment in the live-action Ghost in the Shell, and this is the easiest for me to, like, pinpoint, where the actor who plays Bato, who doing a pretty okay job of it, uh, gets new eyes. He gets the, like, Bato, like, camera lens eyes. And in my mind, I... All I thought was, why didn't they go out... And, like, make a deal with Sony and say, hey, we want to use Sony camera lenses. And we want to say Sony around the lens. And you could sell those cameras and sell those camera lenses. Because that's part of the... That's part of the Ghost of Shell mythos. Is that, like, all the car manufacturers become manufactured of prosthetic bodies. And the fact that no one stopped and said, why are we branding this stuff? Like, they branded, like, Honka Robotics, but they didn't, like, they didn't use real-world brands in the way that you know Ghost in the Shell clearly alludes to. <laughs> like, Ghost in the Shell is clearly like, no, um, Mitsubishi makes, m- makes bodies for people now. And I've talked about that in my, um, in my in my uh cyberpunk panel at cons. And on that note, I'm going over with literally this word. Um, So I am going to leave it there. If you like this episode, new episodes of Fox Radio come out every Sunday and Thursday. Thursday is about a property, a show or a movie. Sunday is more textual, more rambly, more like my thoughts on industry stuff like this. But until Thursday, I've been Alex. You this has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition. I will talk to you then.